Today we have two awesome guest speakers, and um, they're going to wow you. They actually hung out with many of the leaders yesterday at the church, so with um, official church leadership and then some small group leaders. And small group leaders, um, since I have the microphone right now, I'm trying to start a small group email group so that I can email you stuff. So if you have been receiving emails from me, please respond to them. If not, start looking for them. So um, small, some small group leaders came, um, deacons were there, and some emerging leaders. And you guys did a great job leading us in an activity. And today they want to encourage us as well. They're part of the, um, the conference, Conservative Mennonite Conference. And there are leaders there, and they travel to, they try to, within two years, travel to 110, correct? 110 um, churches across America to encourage them, to check in with them. So today they're going to average out all the tithe, and then today they're going to observe your uh, sitting presentation of how well you do, because they say, Joey's doing a really good job. We just need to check the congregation. So... <laughs> So they're here to actually judge you in the way that you sit, in the way that you're taking notes. And um, actually, they're not even evaluating anything that we do here. They're really coming to encourage us. And they were leaders, I believe, 17 years, right? That was the number. Um, in London at, I guess, kind of our partner church. Um, and um, it's great to have them here. So it's Steve and Phyllis Swartz. So let's give them a round of applause as you guys come on up. It is so good to be with you here this morning and thoroughly enjoyed our time with those groups last night as well. You know, God has a habit, and it's pretty annoying to us. He calls people to unusual places, uh, to take risky journeys, to risk even death, to bring life to others. Like Abraham, he said, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I'll show you. He said that to Abraham there in Genesis 12.1. So Abraham leaves this rich land between the Tigris and the Euphrates. He leaves the irrigation systems, the chariots, the buildings with columns. He leaves Ur, the capital of Mesopotamia, at the height of its splendor. And he goes to a land that is strange to him, one inhabited by a warrior-like people called the Canaanites. And because of this journey, he faces famine, land disputes, the anger of the Pharaoh, a long wait for a promised son, who then he's told to kill, and from Abraham and Isaac come the line of Jesus. Take Ruth for another example. Ruth leaves her people to adopt a new people. Your people will be my people, she says to Naomi. Her journey takes her to a people who hate her. 
the Moabite, to live as a foreigner. There she gains favor. And Boaz says, I have been given a full report of all you have done. Does this need to be turned on? Thank you. All right. That sounds better, doesn't it? <laughs> so Boaz says, I've been given a full report of all you have done, how you left your father and you left your mother as well as your homeland, and you came to live among a people that you did not know. And as a result of this journey, Ruth becomes the great, great something grandma of Jesus. And think about Esther. Esther enters into a world that's entirely strange to her. She's among the many women who have been gathered from across the Persian Empire. She sees customs and hears languages and encounters attitudes that are all new to her. Hiding her status as a Jewish exile, she enters into an arena of power where she could very well lose her life. Instead, she finds favor in the eyes of all who see her, and she helps to save the people of God and protects the line of Jesus. And then God calls Paul to a change in status. Paul is a blue blood, noble heritage of the stock of Israel. He's been trained by perhaps the most respected Pharisee of the day, Gamaliel. Paul is a Hebrew of the Hebrews. But Paul calls all this rubbish for the sake of Christ. He trades in this rubbish for peltings with stones, days and nights on the open sea, hunger, thirst, cold, lots of prison cells, and all along this journey, Paul tells about the most important journey of all. The journey of when God himself changed worlds. The story of Jesus sent from heaven to earth. From adoring angels to critical Pharisees, quarreling disciples. From the river of life flowing clear as crystal under the throne to thirsting on the cross, from a place of life to a place of death, and the story of when Jesus dies and is buried in the ground. But from this ground, a tender shoot emerges, and this shoot yields seeds which are planted over and over, reproducing over and over, fulfilling the words of our hero himself, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground, dead to the world, it's never more than a grain of wheat. But if it's buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself over and over. And this is the story of the greatest journey of all the story of Jesus Christ. And to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example 
that you should follow in his steps. We're here from our conference to call you to follow in the steps of Jesus Christ to make disciples. This vision has gripped our conference. Conference leaders feel this call. Our conference agencies, RMM and RBC, feel this call. And I sensed a unity of purpose and an urgency to act on this as never before. Larry Kaufman is leading a church planting team. And here's what they envision, that each individual in each church become part of a disciple-making chain. That each of us develop a kingdom heart, a passion to get to know people. That young adults become a leader in this movement. And that each of us is empowered by the Holy Spirit as we do these things. Emerge is one of a, a program, a new program for us. And this is an opportunity for young people to become interns, not in another state, not in another country, but right here in their home church. Here's how it works. A young person here in your church says, you know, I would like to develop skills in a particular ministry here in this church and in this community. And this young person, with the help of the leaders here at Mechanicsburg and myself, finds a mentor an older, experienced person, someone who can help him or her grow. This young person is assigned a place to serve in the church here or in your community. And the intern and the mentor meet together, and they attend a couple of retreats. They spend time discussing readings together. They talk about these developing skills in the young intern. And they do this for a period of one year. It's a tremendous learning opportunity for that young person, but also for the mentor. Rosedale Bible College in the bridge programs, training young people to work against sex trafficking, to pastor churches, to work with the poor. And let me slip this in. They've just recently announced a $9,000 scholarship for one person from every congregation in our conference. All you need to pay is room and board to stay there. Your tuition is free for one person here within this congregation and all of the congregations. Rosedale Mennonite Missions offers city challenge for youth groups, reach this intense discipleship training, international ministry, and other intern and outreach initiatives. And these agencies aren't just going through the motions. They're passionate about making disciples. And here we are at your church to join with you in your quest for making disciples to follow in the steps of our hero, Jesus Christ. But you know, way too often, I feel like Bilbo Baggins, the hobbit. Bilbo lives in a hobbit hole, and that means comfort. And he lives in the hill full of hobbit holes. The Bagginsons have lived in the neighborhood of the hill for time out of mind, and people consider them to be very respectable, not only because most of them are rich, but also because they never have any adventures of any kind or do anything unexpected. They're plain, 
quiet folk with no use for adventures, which they think are nasty, disturbing, and uncomfortable things. But one day, Gandalf calls Bilbo to help the dwarves reclaim their gold from a dragon. No, says Bilbo. He likes his afternoon snack of cakes and tea. And I can identify with Bilbo. I grab for safety. No roller coasters for me, not even the kiddie ones with my grandchildren. Scary movies? Nope. Not even spicy food. And the thought that one of my children or grandchildren is in danger turns me into jello. Now, if you know both of us, you know that we're both pretty introverted people. But time after time, God has called us to go on journeys that put us with people, to answer calls to adventure that seem daunting to us, to leave what we know and what is comfortable for us, to go on a journey to make disciples for Jesus Christ. And we call you on this journey as well to Go over the threshold, this point of commitment. See on your, your handout that we gave you, there's that threshold at about the 2 o'clock point there where you leave what is safe to go into a dangerous realm where practices are not familiar to you to go into the unknown. Now, in the case of our friend Bilbo, he could never remember exactly how he found himself outside his hobbit hole, without a hat, without a walking stick or any money, and actually leaving his breakfast dishes unwashed, running as fast as his feet could carry him to join on the adventure. But it was at that moment that he crossed the threshold. And sometimes you won't know exactly why and how God moves. Take, for example, one of our conference churches in Lexington, Kentucky, Oasis Community Church. The church in our conference, it probably has more people with advanced educational degrees than probably any other church. Now, Oasis has crossed a threshold. They have moved into an area of ministry that is very foreign to them. They become a presence in a trailer court not far from their church, where they're involved in after-school tutoring, clothing and food distribution, and just being friends. Now their Sunday schools are a lot rowdier. Their church socials require some alert adults around to mediate the fights that just might break out. So they're encountering some brand-new challenges and temptations as they've moved across this threshold. On his journey, Bilbo encounters trolls and goblins and elves and spiders and dark caves. He comes to lands where people speak strangely and sing songs that he's never heard before. And he finds that adventures are not all pony rides in May sunshine. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. G. 
Jesus ate with sinners, and for this he was wounded. And to follow Jesus, you go into the fray, into prisons, and public schools, and city parks, and housing projects, and staff lunchrooms, and gyms. And if you follow in these steps, you should be ready to be wounded. People are taught from nursery school on, Philip Yancey says, to live in the world of ungrace. The early bird gets the worm. No pain, no gain. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Demand your rights. Get what you paid for. Wound when you are wounded. This is the usual way. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. W.H. Alden says it another way. I and the public know what all school children learn. Those to whom evil is done do evil in return. So when this happens to us, when we're challenged, when we're tempted, we feel like building walls around ourselves to protect ourselves, or we just feel like punching back. But Jesus didn't do any of that. And you have the helper, the help of the Holy Spirit to help you in your time of weakness. The Spirit cares so much that the Spirit groans for us. He is your helper. So Jesus was wounded, and then Jesus died, which is exactly what he asks of us as well. Jesus calls us to break this cycle of ungrace, to refuse to pass on to others the wounding, in a sense, to die to ourselves. It's bizarre. It's foolish. It's unreasonable. But that's exactly what gets the attention of a world that is watching how we live, and they're considering following Jesus. It's a new way, Jesus said, an upside-down way, a new kingdom where your death, your giving up of a dream, your walk away from safety into a dangerous, unknown realm brings healing to others. Jesus took wounds, and he didn't wound back. We also refuse to wound. Instead, we show love. Ron Sider made a striking statement. He said, think of the impact if the first thing that the homosexual community thought of when someone mentioned the word evangelicals to them. Oh, they are the people who lovingly ran the AIDS shelters. They're the people who tenderly cared for us down to our last gasp. When you don't know what to do, when you're feeling weak, when you're wounded, ask the Holy Spirit for help. He cares about you and will give you the strength you need. Marion Hostetler tells a story that happened in the village of Lazaro. The rebels had just arrived in this village of Lazaro in the Congo. Someone from this village must die, shouted the rebel leader. The people just waited silently, so the rebel called forward two strong young men. One of the two of you will die, he shouted. Wait. An old gray-haired man stepped forward. I'll die, he said. They're young. I'm old. I'm a Christian. I'm not afraid to die. 
So the rebels, rebels loaded up this old man into the truck. When they arrived at the rebel camp, the old man just saw bodies laying all over the ground. He saw a row of men and boys over here lined up, ready to be shot. Well, here I'm going to die, he said. But before he was shot, the chief called to the firing squad. This man offered to die, and he's a Christian. So he ought to be able to preach before he dies. So preach, old man. And the old man preached of Jesus. Several prisoners began to sob and pray, and the rebels shot them right in the middle of their prayers. But the old man was not shot. Each morning, the old man thought, well, I'll be shot today. But they kept asking him to preach, and prisoners kept coming to Jesus. One morning, the rebels all disappeared. The government army was coming. The old man was free. And back in the village of Lazaro, people listened to him because he had been willing to die. But even if he would have died, he would still have been free inside. In his adventure, our hobbit friend Bilbo eats his very last scraps and crumbs of food. He wants to just lie right here and sleep and dream of food and never wake up again. He sees that his journey could very well have a horrible end. Danger broods in every rock, and he must walk all alone down the secret path to the lonely mountain where the dragon lies. And the battle is terrible, the worst of all of Bilbo's experiences. But you know what? He's become so consumed with the adventure that it hardly matters whether it brings his death or not. We settle for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves, David Platt says, when the central message of Christianity is actually about abandoning ourselves. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. You follow Christ into his death, and if you die with Christ, you'll also live with him, it says in 1 Timothy 2.11. A part of Bilbo had to die so that a new part of him could be born. And now he lives, he's transformed, he's braver, he's richer. And he shares this treasure giving away all the gold that he went to such trouble to get. Mm -hmm. You are not the hobbit that you were before, Gandalf told, tells Bilbo. But all your adventures and all your escapes were not for your sole benefit. The forest is more wholesome. The north is freed from horror. When a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, when it's dead to the world, then it sprouts. God grows his kingdom when we take our hands off the little portion he's given us, when we die to our control of it and plant it into the world. Preserve seed, you'll lose it. 
Plant seed for his sake and you'll keep it through eternity. When you release expectations for your life, then you're free to enjoy your life for what it is rather than for what you think it should be. When you live so you can die, you gain a new spiritual dimension. Jesus said to Mary, you have chosen what cannot be taken from you. Almost 65 years ago, Rhoda and David Showalter answered a call to an adventure. They crossed a threshold into a world that was just totally unknown to them, the hills of eastern Kentucky. There they faced challenges and temptations that they had never encountered before. Probably the greatest of these came on May the 6th, 1955. Rhoda was crossing over one of those swinging bridges as she was hurrying to the neighborhood store. She didn't know that her four-year-old daughter, Carol, was following on behind her. Rhoda reached the other side of the road and turned just as a car struck little Carol. David rushed the little body to the nearest hospital over 25 miles away, but Carol had died. From near and from far, friends and relatives came to be with David and Rhoda. The little mountain church where Rhoda and David served overflowed with the people who had come to Carol's funeral. Just as the service was about to begin, the distraught driver whose car had killed Carol walked into the back of the church. People blamed her, the driver knew. People had questions about her speed, her carelessness, her lack of a license, her emotional well-being. Rhoda, sitting up front here, knew something had happened. She noticed a stir in the congregation, and then she saw the woman. Now, Rhoda had a decision to make. Would she die to herself? Would she stop the wounding going on in that community? Would she offer healing to this accused woman? Rhoda got up from her seat, walked to the back of the auditorium, and took the lady by the hand and said, Come, sit with me. And during the service, as Rhoda sat by this woman, David stood beside Carol's coffin. His hand rested on it, and he struggled to speak. And this is what he said. I want you to know, David told the people, that if even one person who otherwise would not have come to know Christ is saved as a result of Carol's death, it will be worth it all. The community around Gays Creek there was never the same. Uh, before a year was out, a revival broke out in that community, and many people were swept into the kingdom. 
and the spiritual sons and daughters of David and Rhoda, too numerous for any uh, but God to know, have, have circled the globe as a testimony to their forgiving love. But when a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, when it's dead to the world, then it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the book, Gaining by Losing, J.D. Greer writes, when Jesus died on the cross, he had nothing left. Soldiers gambled for his last garment. Everything he owned had either been given away or taken away from him. But out of his death came life. Jesus was one of the first of many seeds that had been planted into the ground to die. Life for the world only comes through the death of the church. That death is not always the, our, our physical body, but we need to be prepared if God would ask that of us. But usually the death comes in the giving away of our resources. Death in the giving up of personal dreams for the sake of Christ. Death in the sharing of the gospel to an increasingly hostile world that doesn't want to hear it. Death in the sending of our most precious resources, our best leaders, our best friends, to the work of the kingdom in other communities in the world. But in the same way, anyone who holds on to their life, just as it is, destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever real and eternal. At a recent conference session, a young woman said something that just really jolted me. I can't tell you her name because she's going to a closed Muslim country. Why are you going to that country? The interviewer asked her. Well, here's the main reason I'm going, she said. Jesus told us to make disciples, and now I have two choices, to obey or not to obey. And you know, basically, it comes down to exactly that. You are asked to make disciples, to reproduce, to die, so that you can sprout and multiply many times over. Remember the stories of Abraham and Ruth and Esther and Paul. All of them dying in some way to bring life to others. Most of all, remember the story of Jesus. He followed this graph of disciple-making. He left heaven, the known. He crossed the threshold to earth. He faced temptations and challenges, and he died. But he also resurrected. And all of us in this room are just a small, small fraction of his multiplication. Jesus, the hero, our model. Let's just close with a prayer. Thank you so much, Father, for the opportunity to 
look at this issue of seeds and of wheat. And we are in a time of springtime now and we understand this process very well as we see it all around us. Father, there are people facing uh, challenges right now in their lives where you have opened up opportunities that are, are very difficult ones and perhaps unsavory uh, to them. I just pray for courage as they consider um, this uh, message of being willing to cross thresholds, leave what's known, uh, to go into unfamiliar territory in order to make disciples for you. Give them courage, Father, as they do that. Thank you for the opportunity we had last night, too, to meet with various ones and to think of past thresholds that this congregation has already crossed for you. But, Lord, in a lot of ways, it's kind of a new generation. It's a, it has been uh, significant changes in the leadership here uh, in this church that has now, they have new opportunities. It's a new generation. It's a different world that we're in right now. But Lord, it's not scary to you, and you have, uh, made, you have made provision for them. I just pray for courage. Thank you for Joey and Macy and for the opportunity to get to know them better and the leaders that surround them. And I just pray your rich blessing upon them, Father, as they navigate these many changes going on here and that they can boldly lead this congregation into the harvest field. We just commit them into your love and care. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Thank you. Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, too. Thank you. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to boldly lead you into the harvest field. So if you have your Bibles, I get my time now. Matthew 28. We're going to be here for the next 40 minutes. You don't think I'm serious? I'm not. All the looks. It's like, man, everyone was so happy. They was like, really? Really? Let's pray. Let's pray for Stephen and Phyllis. God, we just thank you for Stephen and Phyllis. We thank you for... Um, the length of time of discipline and dedication to you, to the conference, to uh, making disciples. I pray that this year would just um, you would increase yourself in their life, increase their authority and the mantle that they have. God, I pray protection over their ministry and their family. And I pray that they would see great fruit this year. In Jesus' name, amen.